This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Are you going to download the government's new COVID alert app? And do you have the right technology to do that? Apparently about 1.1 million Canadians have done so, but if it is to be effective, many more people will have to download it. And since it came out last week, there's been more than a little criticism and not so much over privacy concerns, but because you need a very recent phone and operating system to make it work. And this may exclude lower income people and older people. Now, when it comes to the demographic, I suspect that most Zoomers who embrace technology have the latest devices, though there is some evidence that we are less likely to download apps. So I want to take a look at how this works and what it will actually do for us. And uh, also, yesterday, the nation's chief medical officer warned that COVID-19 will likely be with us for years and we'll have to continue practicing the restrictive safety measures we've undertaken throughout the pandemic. Uh, So if you have questions about either of those things or comments, or do let me know if you're downloading the app. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now we are going to Carmi Levy, who is a technology analyst and journalist, and Dr. Ray Dionandon, who is an epidemiologist and associate professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for being here with you, Libby. Okay, Carmi, let's start with you. So let me run by you my understanding of how the app works, and you can correct me. Uh, so it's got, it, it works off Bluetooth, and presumably it's running in the background when your phone isn't on, right? It's running in the background all the time? Yeah, it's running in the background. The phone has to be powered on. Um, so if the phone is physically powered off, it will not do what it's supposed to do. But uh, otherwise, once you install it, it will, and as long as the phone's powered on, uh, either in your pocket or your bag, and as you go business, you know, in public accessible spaces, it will send out a Bluetooth signal, uh, you know, out to a radius of a few meters, roughly about how far Bluetooth usually works. And it will look for signals from other phones that have the app installed and are doing the same thing. And as as it does that, when it when it sort of finds one, it will then swap codes. It's a randomly generated anonymous code. Uh, can't be traced back to your name or any information, and it just sort of keeps tabs. You know, on this, you know, on on this date at this time uh, with this signal strength, I, I cross paths with this uh, particular phone for this particular amount of time. Um, if someone in that group then then uh, eventually tests positive, they have the option of advising the app as you. Uh, that they tested positive. And then, of course, anyone who spent more than 15 minutes in close proximity to that individual will receive a notification along with guidance to, if they wish to, contact public health officials to seek further care. That's pretty much it. It only uses Bluetooth. 
It only works in, it works in the background only when it's powered on, um, and it doesn't connect to any other services on the phone that would allow it to be reverse engineered, figure out who you are, where you've been, doesn't use location services, contacts, camera, anything like that. Let me ask you this. If you're a, a little less than, than, uh, uh, if you're, if you're not, if it's less than 15 minutes, it's not even going to register it, right? That's right. And they, they established that sort of threshold to minimize the number of false positives that would be generated. Uh, they worked with this. This is technology that was developed by uh, Shopify and BlackBerry, very experienced Canadian technology platform companies and security. Uh, they they used technology that was provided by Google and Apple, known as the Exposure Notification System, or ENS. Um, that's being used in uh, countries around the world as well for similar apps. Um, and uh, essentially, it's uh, it, it cannot, you know, it's designed from the outset to be, you know, perfectly private as designed, but to be as automated as possible. In other words, you don't have to be an expert. You install it, and then you forget it, and it does its business. Uh, you don't have to then maintain it afterward. Um, the reason being, obviously, the more finicky an app is, the less likely it is that it's going to deliver what we expect it to deliver. Okay, and just one more quick question before we get to Dr. Dionandan, and that is, if you are uh, more than six feet apart, it's not going to register either, right? Yeah, and that's the, you know, it's, it's it's a bit of a hit and miss because Bluetooth will work in the standard that it's being used here. It's Bluetooth 4.2 LE. It works within, it's rated for about 10 meters or so, but it's one of those your mileage may vary, right? So, uh, you know, imagine if you're in that mythical grocery store. Uh, it doesn't take into account, for example, whether uh, if I'm in the same aisle as someone or whether we're one aisle over or am I standing, uh, you know, in the checkout aisle and even though I'm fairly close a cashier, it, the app doesn't know that there is plexiglass in between us. So uh, it is affected by environmental factors, by you know, architectural features, and some things will reduce that range. Uh, but the, the general practical range is, you know, a couple of meters, a few meters, you know, maybe two, three, four meters, you know, when you're out and about. Um, but then also, you know, they set that threshold so that you don't get a false positive, but, but at the same time, if they think that uh, that there was undue, undue risk, you will then be notified and then you can subsequently be tested. Um, I wouldn't sort of walk in there with a tape measure and assume that it's perfectly precise. Uh, Bluetooth and other radio-based technologies on our smartphones just don't work that way and we shouldn't expect them to. Okay, let's bring in Dr. Ray Dionandan. Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? Fine. Uh, so um, how uh, useful is this going to be in your opinion? It can be very useful or not useful at all. It depends entirely on the extent of its uptake by, by Canadians. So there's some modeling that suggests that for this to be a game changer, we need about 60% of Canadians to use it. But um, even if not, we don't make that amount, it's going to be useful to some extent. So the countries that are uh, using apps to the most extent are places like Iceland and Singapore, and I think their uptake numbers are like 40%, if not a little bit less. Where it really becomes helpful is that this app replaces or augments an imperfect human memory. So if you were to ask someone in busy downtown Toronto, list everyone that you've been in contact with in the last two weeks. If you've been to coffee shops or restaurants or, or taken the subway or the, or the streetcar, you probably cannot make that list. But this app replaces that need to make a list and creates a perfect memory of those interactions. So 
when used appropriately and by enough people, it can really help contact tracing such that we can track down anyone who's been exposed to the virus and hopefully have them tested and quarantined. I mean, I was thinking about it, and and I will download the app. You know, while we were talking about it with the Zoomer Squad on Monday, and and I said, uh, yeah, I don't know. And, uh, you know, I had callers saying, you know, you get on side. So I will, I promise. But, you know, I was thinking about it and the restrictions that Dr. Tam now says we will have to continue. I was thinking, how how often am I, do I spend 15 minutes close to someone that I don't know. And uh, at this point, I'd say it's probably just about never. I mean, I've heard this described as something really good if you're going to a bar. If I go to a patio, they, they take everybody's information anyway, and the tables are six feet apart. And in the grocery store, not near anybody for 15 minutes. Uh, so am I wrong to think, you know, if for people who are doing everything else that, that uh, I don't know, how useful this would be, Dr. Dionandon. You're, you're not wrong. It's going to be more useful for some people and yes, less useful for others. It's more useful, as you point out, for people who are out and about and who engage in a lot more social interactions than you and I do. And less useful for elderly people who stay at home most of the time and maybe see their family members and nobody else. But um, as a result, it's going to have the biggest impact in urban centers and less of an impact in more rural centers. Uh, ironically, that's also where it's going to have less of, a, of an uptake because rural centers have lesser quality data coverage and possibly lower income individuals and therefore possibly lower quality phones. So this all plays into our correlationary analyses. So, um, so long as enough young people use it, the kinds of people who, as you say, go to bars and go to cafes and restaurants, I think it'll have an important impact. All of that should not discount us from the focus, which is the human contact tracing is what allows us to control this epidemic, that plus testing. This does not replace the need for the human component. It's just an additional tool in the toolbox that may or may not be a game changer. Frankly, I don't think it will be a game changer, but it will be an important tool. Yesterday, Teresa Tam said this is going to be with us for two or three years and a vaccine, even if we get one, and there is a big if about that, will not be a silver bullet. Uh, she says she agrees with Fauci in the United States, where Fauci was saying he's sure there would be a vaccine by the end of this year, the beginning of next. And there are all kinds of questions about if there is a vaccine or several vaccines, will we have enough of it? How many people will take it up? I would like to hear from you. 416-360-0740. Toll free 1-866-740-4740. And Dr. Dionandon, I, I saw a survey the other day which said that a, a, a fair percentage of people are a little hesitant about the vaccine. And it's not the usual vaccine uh, hesitancy deniers, but people are kind of saying, well, if it's a new thing, I do have questions. What, what, what do you make of that? I don't blame them. Uh, it's perfectly reasonable to be hesitant about a new medication that hasn't gone through the fullness of the safety testing yet. Unfortunately, that means that we're going to be slow towards achieving artificial herd immunity, which is what a vaccine offers us. Keep in mind that no vaccine is perfectly safe or perfectly effective. Let's say this one has 99% effectiveness and all Canadians get it. That still means about 1% of the population it won't work on, which means about 300,000 people remain susceptible. So 
um, I agree that there won't be a silver bullet. There are a lot of factors here that will prevent its full uptake and full effectiveness. That means that we're going to have to have some public health measures in place for a long period of time. But miracles do happen, right? So it may be an extraordinarily good vaccine, and we may have an extraordinarily good distribution system, which is yet to be seen. And uh, maybe it'll be a vaccine that doesn't require many booster shots. If that's the case, then one shot would do it. And maybe it'll be a vaccine that offers immunity for more than a few months, even though that means that's probably unlikely. It'll probably require a couple of booster shots every few months. If that's the case, then we'll be out of the woods sooner than we thought. But we can't bank on those things. Right. Uh, you know, will the the regular trial system, phase one, two, three, will, will that resolve those issues? The phase three trial will tell us a great deal. Uh, it'll tell us in the real world scenario who is likely for it to work on it, who's going to get sick from it, and who's going to have a bad experience. So that'll tell us a lot. But as with most uh, products, biomedical products, it takes years in the field for all of the, um, the issues to be worked out. Because the phase three trial, we're testing on tens of thousands of people, but until it's scaled up to millions of people, we won't know every last niche of different characteristics that it may um, manifest in. So it may turn out that maybe it works differently in children, but we won't be testing on children anytime soon. So there will be some big gaps in our knowledge for several years to come. I have a separate question, and that is, you know, our numbers are looking good. Uh, It's been under 100 for a few days in a row. But here's the thing. What we've seen around the world is that even countries that did a great job with uh, the first surge of this experienced new surges. And I, uh, you know, from what I can see, they're related to the reopening of the economy. uh, Dr. Dionandon, the time lag, I mean, should we be expecting another surge in, I don't know, a few weeks? We we just went into stage three almost a week ago. What do you think on that? Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't bank on a surge in a few weeks. I would be um, more or less surprised, rather, if we see a surge in the fall. So this disease has some mysteries around it. But one thing that is not mysterious is that human behavior drives its occurrence. And human behavior in the sense of uh, people going to social events, people going to school, people going back to work, people not distancing. That seems to be what's driving resurgences around the world. So in Australia, their, their second wave is probably underway right now. It's due to them going back inside because they're experiencing their fall and winter. So we can expect that. Um, but I'm, I'm faithful and confident that, that our citizens are being pretty good now so that in the summer weeks that we have left, we probably will not see a huge surge. I'm hoping I'm crossing my fingers, but I'm more worried about the fall. Okay. Uh, Carmi, are you expecting more people to take this up as we head into the fall? I am. I'd like to think that Canadians, you know, when push comes to shove, will do the right thing and recognize that an app like this is, as Dr. Giannandon says very astutely, it's an important tool in our toolkit. It's not a magic bullet. It's not the single solution, but as we try to return to some levels of society, public level normalcy, uh, that an app like this will give us the awareness to do so in a safe manner. Um, you know, to kind of balance the need to have a certain level of external activity with the need to stay safe. Uh, and so, yeah, I'd like to think that most Canadians will uh, dispense with the political rhetoric, will understand the, the privacy decisions that have been made in architecting this technology, and that I think have been very fairly built out um, and then I think to have addressed a lot of the concerns that Canadians would normally have. 
and will recognize that it's a reasonable trade-off. In other words, you know, it's it doesn't put us at undue additional risk for privacy incursion, but at the same time, um, it allows us to do what we need to do and get us through this marathon uh, time period until such time that a vaccine is available on a mass scale. Um, and yeah, so I, I you know, I, I believe the Canadians will educate themselves to that point that they can make the right decision um, and not use uh, rhetoric that they might have come across on, on social media, for example, as an excuse to opt out. I'd like to think the Canadians are better than that. Uh, yeah, you mentioned privacy. I had one question about it because I have seen privacy experts who, who are okay with this, but for instance, are not okay with, uh, the fact that in Toronto anyway, if you go out to a restaurant patio, they're taking your name and your contact info. Uh, do you have any view of the old fashioned kind of contact tracing as opposed to this? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this is. You know, as Dr. Dionanet has stated, and I've certainly said in uh, other interviews and presentations I've given on this, it is complementary to the discipline of contact tracing. In other words, having an app allows contact tracing as a discipline to scale beyond what we can deliver right now. Um, contact tracing is great because it, it paints a picture of uh, where you were, whose path you crossed, whether in fact they uh, were put at risk in the process. Um, which then allows public health officials to do what they need to do. But uh, you can only hire so many people. And on a global scale pandemic, you will never be able to hire enough people to stay on top of this need. So an app using a device that all of us carry virtually 24-7 can kind of expand the envelope within which we can have that awareness. It helps traditional contact tracing cover a much greater and broader range. Um, you know, but at the same time, we shouldn't fool ourselves. There are, you know, it's, it's only going to do so much. Um, and, you know, there's still going to be a level of, of non-awareness. And also, in certain areas, even though the app has been designed to not identify us, if I'm in a relatively small town um, and only two of us are using that app uh, and, and someone gets a positive notification, it's going to be pretty easy to figure out who that is, even though I didn't get that information from the app. And so privacy, we shouldn't think of it as a 100% absolute concept. Uh, they've done everything that they can, but there's still a minuscule amount of risk associated with it. We as Canadians need to recognize uh, that it is a reasonable level of risk for the benefit that we get back by using this app. In other words, it keeps us safe, allows us to lead our lives, um, you know, prevents us from, from uh, either being infected or contributing to infection, um, all for a very tiny uh, increase in privacy and uh, data security risk. I think that's reasonable. Okay, and Dr. Dionand, and last thing I wanted to ask about, on the issue of the vaccine. So um, Canada is betting on a vaccine. We're spending money to get a lot of the Moderna vaccine. Should it prove to be safe and effective? Uh, there was another pharma complaining about uh, the fact that they heard nothing back to get funding for their phase one trial. Is it the right strategy to to bet on one vaccine, in, in your opinion, or should we be, uh, you know, uh, backing other horses? It's a good question. And there's a lot of politics that goes into this behind the scenes. I'm learning pretty quickly. I think the leading candidate, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, is the one most of us want. And I don't see any uh, rumblings from the government that were pursuing that one, which is curious to me, because it's the one with the most data behind it right now. I would like to see us try to acquire the leading candidates, whoever they might be. And we should acquire them in bulk. And uh, 
and to help with the cost. I mean, at this point, the cost of acquiring these things en masse are minuscule compared to the cost of not doing so. So uh, hedge your bets, get them all. Right. But is it worth starting with phase one at this point? Well, no. Um, so we have some candidates right now that are in phase three and are showing promise as a result of phase two trials. And those are the ones I think we should focus on. They're the AstraZeneca, Oxford ones, the, the CanSino ones. Moderna, I think, it's probably a bit too early. Uh, I may change my mind in a couple of weeks if I see some more data. But at the same time, they may be privy to information that I don't have like coming out of those companies themselves sharing some preliminary data that's not yet public. So um, I, I'm not privy to all of the discussions going on behind the scenes. I would not be surprised if there's more information at hand that we're not seeing. Okay. Uh, so uh, we're basically out of time. Carmi, uh, uh, anything you want to leave us with? Ten seconds. Um, you know, I think we all have a decision to make. The more of us who participate in this, the more likely it is to actually help people. So uh, have that conversation, make that call, and then head to the App Store and, App Store and download it now. Okay. And uh, Ray? We're doing well. Everyone's doing so well. And I think we got to keep on uh, trying to protect each other and do the responsible thing. I have faith in my fellow Canadians. Okay. Uh, that is, thank you very much. And uh, let's hope that uh, your predictions of uh, the fact that we're, you don't think that we'll see a big surge in the next couple of weeks. I certainly hope that you are right on that. Thank you to Dr. Ray Dionandon and Carmi Levy. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. And that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.